Last month on Patreon, Allison did the first of a series called Ruler Myth. She talked about several incidents where time travel was a likely possibility to explain away some pretty weird events. You all know that we've talked about a lot of odd theories on this show. We've discussed Baba Yaga, who, according to worldhistory.org, is a witch from Slavic folklore who lives in a magical hut in the forest and either helps, imprisons, or eats those she encounters. She's among the most famous figures in Slavic folktales and has found a following in the present day among those who see her embodying female empowerment and independence. We talked about ball lightning in that very same episode, which according to Britannica is a rare phenomenon in the form of a luminous sphere that is generally several centimeters in diameter. It usually occurs near the ground during thunderstorms in close association with cloud to ground lightning. It may be red, orange, yellow, white, or blue in color and is often accompanied by a hissing sound and a distinct odor. It normally lasts only a few seconds, usually moving about and then vanishing suddenly, either silently or explosively. Ball lightning has been reported to cause damage by burning or even melting. We've discussed the Yeti in several of our cases. The Yeti, according to Live Science, was once better known as the Abominable Snowman, not the one that's on Rudolph. It is a mysterious creature said to live in the mountains of Asia. It sometimes leaves tracks in the snow, but it's also said to dwell below the Himalayan snow line. Despite dozens of expeditions into remote mountainous regions of Russia, China, and Nepal, the existence of the Yeti remains unproven. In our coverage of the Beaumont children, we talked about the horrifying theory of a collapsing sand dune. While beautiful, they are natural death traps in some cases. If you don't watch your step, you could be buried alive. According to the United States Geological Survey, sand dunes are created when wind deposits sand on top of one another until a small mound is formed. Once the first mound forms, sand piles up the windward side more and more until the edge of the dune collapses under its weight. The collapse begins when the angle of the dune becomes too large to support the weight. In our coverage of Cindy James, we talked about how one could possibly stalk and hurt oneself. Someone was attacking Cindy James, but that someone might have been her in this strange turn of events. We've talked about ships disappearing into the Bermuda Triangle, and we know the Bermuda Triangle is a mythological section of the Atlantic Ocean, roughly bounded by Miami, Bermuda, and Puerto Rico, where dozens of ships and airplanes have disappeared. Unexplained circumstances surround many of those accidents, including one where a pilot became disoriented while flying over the sea and the plane was never found. Other boats and planes have seemingly vanished from the area, even in good weather, without ever sending distress messages. One thing we haven't really talked a lot about, though, are UFOs and aliens. What was once a thing of fantasy could actually be real. Just recently, actually as recently as May of this year, the U.S. government announced that UFOs are real and they pose a serious threat to our country. In today's case, a seasoned-ish air pilot goes missing under odd circumstances after reporting a UFO. Was it extraterrestrial beings that are responsible for his disappearance or was it something else? This is the case of Frederick Volantich. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot 
and our case is cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. First of all, Frederick is French, and I've listened to his name pronunciation about a dozen times, sleuth uh-huh. hounds, but it still could be wrong. So <laughs> we're just going to avoid saying his last name, and we're just going to call him Frederick. Frederick. Okay. Yeah. And I actually think he went by Fred, but he's going to be Frederick. <laughs> okay. Frederick okay. does sound much more sophisticated yeah agreed that's Mm -hmm. like anthony a lot of people ask if he goes by tony and i'm like no it's anthony right not tony get it right people yeah (laughs) so obviously i do not know a lot about becoming a pilot that's just you know was never a career choice that i could see yourself doing yeah Yeah. So I don't really know a lot. Um, All I know is what I can deduce from one of my Facebook friends who has a son who I believe is trying to become a commercial pilot. And from what I gather on her um, social media, it is not um, an easy process. Mm -hmm. And obviously we thank God that it isn't an easy process. We wouldn't want Uh, like me flying your across ocean flight to cancun or something we wouldn't want that right so obviously you can have you have guessed from the introduction that today's Uh case revolves around someone who is wanting to become a pilot right and so i googled the requirements to become a pilot and um they're actually pretty intense especially for commercial pilots they have to log hundreds and hundreds of flying hours Uh before they are actually able to become a pilot um i wasn't i was even less familiar with the route that frederick wanted to take so he didn't just want to be a commercial pilot he also wanted to be in the royal australian air force which is abbreviated i don't know if i want to say raf because they are yeah yeah but i'm pretty sure it's just raaf but (laughs) in my mind i want to say raf because it's cool (laughs) but he wanted to be in the um, Royal Australian Air Force. Okay. And obviously, I have absolutely no idea what one has to do to be in the Australian Air Force. Not a clue. Yeah. So I Googled it, and mm-hmm. um, all studies had a list of steps that one would have to complete. And I think it's important for us to kind of know how intense this process is. Okay. To get a sense of who Frederick was as a person. Okay. And so for our American listeners, some of these abbreviations, I'm just going to assume what they mean because I'm not Australian. So step (laughs) one is to complete your, they call it HSC education, but they said that's through year 12. So I'm assuming that that means high high school school courses. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would assume too. Yeah. Because it said like math, English, and other broad subjects. Mm -hmm. So I think that Mm -hmm. means you have to graduate high school. Right. Step two is you have to pass a series of aptitude tests, physical examinations, and background checks. 
you know what? I would be great until the physical examinations. And then <laughs> out You're the like, door. I'm pooped. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I'm done. <laughs> Step three is you have to choose the Air Force officer in like which pathway you're going to take. Because okay. there are several. So you oh, could just okay. be like a, a general officer. You could be an Australian Defense Force Academy person. You could go through graduate entry. So like um if you are qualified in like dentistry nursing engineering and then you decide you want to be in the air force you could be like oh okay a graduate entry yeah if you have um some type of undergraduate hours under your belt then you could Mm -hmm. go into like an undergraduate entry you could do a medical program or into the reserves so i'm assuming sort of like the army reserves okay so lots of potential Lots of avenues. Mm -hmm. Step four is you have to pass a fitness training, an intense (laughs) fitness training, which is both physical and mental. So, again. Mental, I wonder as in how. Like, they put you into stressful situations to see if you can keep your calm? That's what I would think. Because I would think if you're a pilot for the Air Force, you could find yourself in, you know, potentially. Sticky situations. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, almost wondering if it's like NASA training in a way, mm. like you have to, they have to know that you can handle those types of situations. See, I'm weird when it comes to the mental <laughs> training part because <laughs> like, Allison's like, weird mentally. I, yeah, she's like, <laughs> right. Because like I, when I was in college, I fell off my bunk bed my freshman year in my mm. sleep, and. I hit face first and I had to get stitches. Yeah, it's right near my eyebrow. But I stayed super calm. Now, I think I was in shock. I think that's why mm-hmm. I stayed calm. But I was like, I think I should go to the emergency room. I said it just you know, like that to my roommate. You know, but- I think that people are like that sometimes, though. Mm-hmm. Because when I, so I had to get stitches. This was like, I was teaching with you. I don't remember if I was next door to you or if I was still in the other building. But Anthony and I were cleaning out the refrigerator and we were passing like things. He was handing things up to me and I was putting them in the sink. Mm -hmm. And he handed a glass pitcher to me that had Kool-Aid in it because it needed to be dumped out. And he thought I had the pitcher and I thought he had it and neither one of us had it. And we dropped it and it cut my foot. And like the whole time I was like, I think I need a washcloth. I need to put pressure on this. I'm bleeding. And like I sat down and like was putting pressure on it. And I was like, it's fine. I'm going to be like, I was so calm. And then as soon Mm -hmm. as he was like, I think we need to go to the ER. That's when I immediately was like, I don't want to get stitches. (laughs) I can't do it. Well, yeah. See, I'm the same way because I think I went in shock then. But then Rodney makes fun of me all the time because we'll be driving and I'll see. I don't know. Let's say some baby goats. <laughs> okay. And I say, because oh, I get all excited. And he's like, oh, I do that. That reaction was a little bit extreme, Allison. Yeah. And it's new. So, like, you scared me. I, I know. Yeah. That's what Rodney says, too. They just need to, I don't yeah. know, learn our behavior. Yeah. And not, not get worked up into it. They need to eat a donut and calm down. Yeah. This they do. <laughs> okay. Back to the Air Force training. 
Step five is you have to complete the officer training. So you attend this training school that is based in Victoria, I'm pretty sure. And it's like a 17 week long program and it's pretty intense and it's mandatory before you can choose like if you want to be in communications, if you want to be like on the leadership side, if you want to go into military law, like you take all of these different courses when you're there mm-hmm. to figure out what you want to do. So they really want to see how dedicated you are. This is. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. 17 weeks. That's significant. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the last step would be you just continue your learning. So there is a huge extensive list of requirements. So obviously it's not for the faint at heart. Mm-hmm. They're weeding out people. It's like mm-hmm. college 101 classes. We're weeding you out. Right, right. <laughs> Frederick was very dedicated, but he was not the most experienced flyer. It wasn't like he was a little baby bird that was close to the edge of the nest. He had about 150 total hours of flying time in the two years that he had been flying. So he was starting to gain that experience, but I don't know that we would call him experienced, if that makes okay. sense. Okay, right. So he's uh, like an apprentice. He's not proficient at it yet. Yeah, but he had done, like he does do or did do um, solo flights. So it's not like he had to be with someone, but he wasn't to the caliber he wanted to be just yet. Okay. He had a class four instrument rating, which meant that he was able to fly at nighttime because you have to get a different rating to be able to fly at night because oh, obviously it's that. more dangerous. Mm-hmm. But he was only, class four means, yes, you can fly at night, but only if the conditions are pretty much perfect. Like a clear night oh. with low wind. You can't be out there with okay. fog and rain and all that stuff. Okay. So Frederick, like I said, not a lot of experience, but he's only 20. So it's not like oh. this is a 70-year-old man we're talking about. He's right. still got a lot of time to achieve all of these things that he wants to achieve. Mm-hmm. He was a member of the Air Training Corps, which was a volunteer youth program that was sponsored by the Royal Australian Air Force. He had his private pilot's license for just about a year and had, you know, that little bit of flight experience. Okay. At 20, he still lived with his parents. And from everything I read was a really great young guy he didn't have any serious problems there were some things that you're kind of like that's a little weird oh no but are we you all tell have me about those them? yeah okay but we I all figured. have those things that that's like that's a little weird you know right but he was happy because he was pursuing his career of choice right. he wanted to be in the air force and he had applied twice to the Royal Air Force Academy, but was rejected both times because of inadequate educational qualifications. And I never found any details about what was lacking for him there. Mm. So I'm not 100% sure. Unless, well, I mean, the education could be like, I don't know if they could qualify those assessments in there too or something like that. I'm not sure. Oh, maybe. Maybe he just didn't score high enough on right. placement exams or something like that. So he tried twice and didn't make mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But he was dedicated. You know, he's a member of this training camp or this training corps. He is dedicated to being 
a pilot. He wants his career in aviation. Um, he was studying part-time to become a commercial pilot, but he did not have the greatest of records. Okay. So, I mean, he had twice failed all five commercial license <gasps> examination subjects and i don't oh, know if no. that plays into the royal air force academy or if that's just with the commercial pilot i things. bet it does oh that's not good yeah he failed but, all five yeah oh. yeah but that didn't stop him because he had as recently as a month before this story takes place tried again and failed Three more commercial license subjects. Oh, no, Frederick. You need to study more, buddy. Make those flashcards. Yes. I, oh, that's, those were a game. I remember when I discovered um, flashcards. Oh. I was like, who has who did not tell me about these? Right. It was a game changer when mm-hmm. I did my, like, um, I think it was like, we had to take a New Testament and an Old Testament class at my college because oh, it's I did Presbyterian too. college. Oh, I did too. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so we had to learn all these vocabulary words. Game changer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was and so good. Now, how easy do kids have it? They've got Quizlet. Oh, I know. They can make their gar- cards on there and it will quiz them. They don't even I have know. to have somebody else read it to them. Or Weenies. flip them over yourself. Seriously. <laughs> but, you know, I'm no flying expert. But from my research, I don't think that Frederick was the most amazing pilot in the making. Mm-hmm. According to an article that I read that, you know, has a title, the length of a sentence okay. called The Vol- Volantish Disappearance, Another UFO UFO Cold Case Solved. Oh. That was a mouthful. Yeah. He had been involved in a couple flying incidents. So things like um, straying into a controlled zone when flying <gasps> near Sydney. That's not good either. <laughs> and he, he did receive a warning for that. Oh, my goodness. And twice he deliberately flew into clouds, which I guess is a big no-no. I did not know that. And for that, they were considering prosecuting him. But I don't know that I ever read what became of that. Well, if you think, if he's not good enough to pass these tests... And it has to be pretty much clear conditions mm-hmm. before he can fly. Mm-hmm. Him flying into a cloud where there could be another plane mm-hmm. or something like that concealed by the cloud. That's Probably bad. not the best. No, yeah. not a good decision. But, you know, nothing was deterring him from this dream. And like you said, I don't want to sound cynical because I'm not this type of person. But I do think for every individual, there comes a time for us all to smell the roses, smell the coffee, whatever you want to say, so to speak. Because Mm -hmm. not every path is meant for every person. And sometimes I think we kind of have to face the facts and realize when it's time to move on. Yeah. And I'm saying this from experience. Right. Yeah, Not we've all tried things person. that we mm-hmm. weren't good at. Mm-hmm. But you've got yeah. to figure that out for yourself. If somebody tries right. to tell you that, you're never going to believe it. Right. Because, you know, teachers have to take exams to become teachers. I don't mm-hmm. know if a lot of people know that, but it's not like we just roll out of bed and right. you're a teacher. You <laughs> I'm going to well, teach some children. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to educate youth. But a lot of people have a hard time passing those exams because they mm-hmm. can be hard. Mm-hmm. And I remember the last one I had to take, the first time I took it, I failed it by like three points. And I told Anthony, I was like, if I t- I'm taking it again and if I fail it a second time, I'm not going to take it again. Then it's just not meant for me to do that. I'm just not a person that's going to take a test eight times. Because right. to me, it's just not meant to be. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I pa- well, thankfully, I passed. But, you know, again, sometimes we just all have to move on. Right. But he was having a hard time moving on. Mm. So we are going to talk about now what happened, why we're talking about, oh, Freddie, why we're talking about Fred today. So picture with me, Allison, if you will, the sun is setting over the beautiful Australian horizon. The weather is beautiful. The wind is just blowing enough to make it feel nice outside. It is pretty much clear out. It is the perfect afternoon, the perfect evening. And Frederick thinks this is the perfect night to go flying. Mm, and this at least was it's clear that's true weather's beautiful yeah and this was the weather on october 1st 1978 and i read that he had actually gone to this airport before to fly at night but it was like either rainy or foggy and they turned him away and so now oh, the weather okay. is perfect mm-hmm. and he's like you know what i'm gonna go back to the airport I'm going to rent a little plane and I'm going to go flying this afternoon. So the sun was just setting. It was around 620 in the evening. So he's cruising down the runway in his rented Cessna 182L. Don't have any idea what the 182L means, but I know that's part of his plane. Sounds official. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds official. At the Maribyn airport in victoria on his first ever nighttime flight which he is at least allowed to do yes he is so frederick planned to fly west for about 40 minutes along the australian coast at cape otway he then actually headed south over bass strait towards king island and towards open water and allison this stretch of water is actually known to be particularly dangerous um i don't know if it's just one of those straits that maybe catches a lot of wind or has rough Mm. seas or that kind of thing um but it is reserved more for experienced pilots from what i gathered i feel like frederick's problem is because he's failed i'm like psychoanalyzing him (laughs) is because he's failed all these tests i feel like he's one of those people you know who they are who are like Mm -hmm. i'm just not good at standardized tests but i'm i can do it Mm -hmm. you know and i feel like he just feels this deeply seated need to prove himself and i think that's why he keeps putting himself in those situations like flying into a cloud when he knows he's not supposed to let's take this dangerous path because i'll show them you know my mammy would say he's too big for his britches yeah that's the sense that i get yeah me too so like you said he's kind of like i'll show them I'm going to go across this strait to King Island. And the weather was clear. The wind was calm. So maybe he was just feeling overly confident. Maybe. 
According to an article by Brian Dunning, quote, King Island is about halfway between the main island of Tasmania and the mainland Australia. To fly there from Melbourne, you typically don't fly a straight line because that would mean you're over water nearly the entire way. And flying over water is, of course, riskier than flying over land. So pilots typically go from Melbourne southwest along the coast to Cape Otway, where they're which is the closest point to the mainland to King Island. So you're not typically, if you're flying this, just going to go straight. Because, you know, we think to go straight because that's the quickest way to get there. You're going to go a little bit out of your way so you're flying over the water for less amount of time. That makes sense. Yeah, because the route that Brian Dunning talks about, you are actually over land most of the time, and it's the safest route to king island versus just going straight across well because if you need to make an emergency landing there's land mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you need that for landing yeah that's it's part of the word <laughs> frederick's flight actually started pretty uneventfully about 20 minutes after the sunset he turned away from the coast at an altitude of 4500 feet and began the long stretch over the water i did read in my research that he told a few different stories as to why he was flying that night one was that he was supposed to meet friends on the island for dinner so Mm. he's flying there to meet his friends which i think seems a little implausible but yeah i don't know maybe that's the type of thing him and his friends do maybe so regardless he is going towards king's island that king island is his destination but at that moment that he turned from the coast things kind of go down for frederick Mm. So it was a route that many people have flown many times before, but when he was flying over this strait near that cape, he sighted what he thought was a UFO flying nearby. Uh, okay. So, remember earlier I said that Frederick was, you know, like the seemingly normal kid, and I was like, well, you know, he has like his little quirks, quirks about him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one was that Frederick was a little obsessed with UFOs. And when I say a little obsessed, I mean he was like a lot of obsessed. <laughs> he um, talked about them a lot. He felt that he was on the brink of proving that UFOs were a thing. His father even said, and I think I'll talk about this later on, that um, Frederick had kind of hoped to be abducted by aliens so that he could prove ufos were you know real and some people believe that's why he was so obsessed with going into the air force because that put him one step closer into this extraterrestrial realm oh my yeah okay yeah so he's flying over the strait and he sees the ufo when he saw the flying object, he immediately radioed the airport at Melbourne, the Melbourne Air Services. And the transcript is a little bit difficult for civilians, I think, to understand because there's mm-hmm. a lot of like military abbreviations Lingo. and things yeah. on there. Yeah. His first few calls, though, came in something similar to this. Quote, seems to be a large aircraft below 5,000. Just passed over me a few thousand feet above. Hmm. So, 
he goes on to say, it's approaching right now from due east towards me. It seems to me that he's playing some sort of game. Oh my gosh. This is his like conversation with these air service people. He's like, there's a large aircraft. It's passing over me. It seems like a game. Yeah. It's playing some type of game with me. Okay. And he continues to fly on, and the transmission goes back and forth. And as the transmissions continue, they become stranger and more weird. Oh, how's it get stranger than it's playing a game with me? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Good point. <laughs> um, I'm going to actually read a little bit of Frederick's exchange with Melbourne. Um, I read that an audio does exist of this conversation, like the original conversation with frederick and the air service people Uh but i wasn't able to find anything when i googled online and all the articles that said that an audio does exist said the same thing that i was able to find you can find lots of dramatizations where it's been things like you know unsolved mysteries or Uh well i don't think it has been there but Uh shows like that and they hire people to pretend to be these people Oh, right right okay So, we're going to talk a little bit, or read a little bit, of their transcript. So, Frederick says, my level is four and a half thousand, four, five, zero, zero. And so, the air traffic people say, and you cannot confirm the identity of the aircraft. Frederick says, affirmative. They go, Roger, stand by. So, he's telling them, like, I don't know what's flying around me. sounds like. Okay. Yeah. And so they're telling him to stand by. And he says, it's not an aircraft. It is. And then the microphone just like pauses for a few beats. And they come back and say, can you describe the aircraft? Uh He said, it's flying past. It's a long shape. I can't identify more than that. That is such a speed. And then there's just like a pause for about three seconds. It's before me right now, Melbourne. And so then they say, Roger, and how large would the object be? So he's saying, this is huge. I can't even comprehend how big this is. And it is flying past me at such a speed. It's right in front of me. And Mm -hmm. so they're like, okay, how big is this thing? Uh And he says, it seems like it's stationary. What I'm doing right now, it's orbiting. And the thing is just orbiting on top of me also. It's got this green light and a sort of metallic light. And it's all shiny on the side okay yeah so then there's just a pause again it just vanished frederick says then frederick says melbourne would you know what kind of aircraft i've got it's a military aircraft so he's saying is it a military aircraft you know what this is and they say confirm the aircraft just vanished and he said say that again and the airport says Is the aircraft still with you? And there's like a pause. And Frederick says, it's approaching from the southwest. Oh, it was just at another spot before. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then it disappeared and now it's coming at him from a different direction. Yeah. Then Frederick says, the engine is, is rough idling. I've got to get it set at 23, 24. And this thing is coughing. And he like starts coughing. Roger, what are your intentions? My intentions are to go to King Island. Uh, Melbourne, that strange aircraft is hovering on top of me again. Then there's just kind of silence for a few seconds. He says, it's hovering and it's not an aircraft. (gasps) 
and then the line goes silent. Oh my gosh. Since Allison and I don't work together anymore, recording our podcast became harder until we found Zencaster. Zencaster is podcast recording the way it should be, web-based and as easy as creating a link and clicking to join a recording session. If you've been listening to our show for any extended period of time, you know our love for Zencaster and their products. Now, with Zencaster Professional, there's even more to love. Zencaster records video up to 4K. Post-production allows you to balance volumes and reduce background noise in one click. Filler word removal takes out all the ums and ahs that happen in natural speech. And you can now also add your brand's watermark to your work. For the podcaster, the production of an episode is simple from start to finish. Recording local audio, inserting pre-recorded audio clips like intro music and ads, and even publishing the episode or setting it to post at a future date and time. It's even easy for guests who aren't tech savvy, and you can add up to 11 separate participants. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use our code coffee and cases, all one word. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experience we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. So obviously, Allison, you can guess. Oh. Something happens to Frederick. The line dies and they can never get the transmission back again. Right after he says, it's not an aircraft. Yes. Okay. A sea and air search was undertaken. That included ocean-going ship traffic. The Royal Air Force also took part in that with some of their aircraft. And then even eight civilian aircrafts were part of this search to look for Frederick. And they actually searched about a thousand square miles. That's a big footprint to cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I guess, I mean, I don't know. I'm thinking Captain America here. When your plane crashes, mm-hmm. how they could know exactly where it is. I mean, I don't know. And then I wonder, you know, could he have been carried by the current like what does your what does a plane typically do when it crashes into the ocean does it i would imagine it just sinks float for a while and then sinks or just go straight down i don't know and then like i know that um planes have the black box on them Mm -hmm. right which it has like all of their radio transmissions and all of that stuff so like does it send out a signal or something like is there something on the 1978 that i don't know well, I don't know. I think they can find there is something on the black boxes, right? Because wasn't there that commercial aircraft that just disappeared? This wasn't too long ago, mm-hmm. within the last 20 years, and they never found like the black box or anything like that. Yeah, it was Malaysian Airlines. Yeah. So I guess there is some way to track that. Yeah. But they search this 1,000 square miles and they find no trace of Frederick and no trace of his aircraft. Hmm. There were a couple of sort of kind of witnesses that 
came forward. One asked to remain anonymous, and he claimed that he was traveling with his family when he noticed unusual activity in the sky. He said that there was a lime green light flying about 300 feet above a smaller <gasps> aircraft. You know, and the he would have had he would have had no idea what Frederick told. Yeah. Those, when he told the yeah, like service, air traffic air service people, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's creepy. Because in my head, I was like, maybe he's making it up because he can't prove that there's extraterrestrial life. So maybe he took his own plane down, you know, knowing mm-hmm. that he couldn't pass all these tests. You know what I mean? But maybe mm-hmm. he was thinking, like, I'll at least prove all these people wrong. You know, I'll make them believe that there's extraterrestrials, you yeah. know. But to know that there was a witness who is giving a description similar to what Frederick had given. That's a little creepy. Yeah. It makes you, it makes you think for a second. Mm -hmm. This witness says both flew closer to each other and the other one disappeared from his view. Which is just what Frederick said. Right. Six weeks after Frederick's disappearance, an amateur photographer came forward and he claimed that on that evening, so the evening that Frederick disappeared, he had actually set up a camera at the Cape to take pictures of the sunset, which is a totally photographer thing to do. Right. And the last one, there was actually, you know what, just scroll down a little bit, Allison. Oh, and tell me what you see in the picture before we talk about it. Okay. Well, it is a beautiful view of a sunset, but mm-hmm. there's also a big black thing in the sky, but it's it's a weird shape. You can't tell what it mm-hmm. is. And so, I mean, it could be some huge object flying in the air. It could be a blurred image of a bird, or it could be a bug mm-hmm. on the camera lens. Yeah, and it almost kind of looks like there's smoke or a shadow or something behind Mm -hmm. it on the one side. Or it's the wings of a fly that got stuck in the camera lens. I mean, yeah, there's definitely like a a darker black image and then like almost a more transparent something on the side of it. Yeah. So he comes forward and says, you know what, I have been taking pictures and there's this black spot in the upper right hand corner of the very last photograph that I took on that night. And at first he's like, you know, this is probably just a developing error. Right. Because right. That happens all the time, especially in the like seventies, even pictures from when I was little, there's some developing Mm -hmm. errors on some of Mm -hmm. them. But the mark was actually determined to be by a professional. This American photo analyst determined that it was a metallic object, apparently in a cloud of exhaust, about a mile away from the camera. And it was actually studied by the this. Kodak lab. I don't know how they know that, but maybe they could tell more by the negative than by well, the Well, I think they did. Yeah, I think the Kodak lab did look at the negative and there was no smudge or, you know, something that would have made it develop odd. Mm-hmm. So whatever was in the picture was actually in the picture. Was captured, was actually in the picture. But, you know, I had never thought, I don't know how they were able to determine it was about a mile away from the camera. Because what if it mm-hmm. was, like you said, a fly? Right. 
or, you know, something along that line, mm-hmm. then I think you could easily say that it was yeah. just... To me, to me, those two things, yeah, I don't know how they would determine the distance. Yeah, because I don't know, because like you said, now that you mentioned the fly, like, I kind of almost get stuck on, I think it could be mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. On October 23rd, just two days after Frederick's disappearance, the Melbourne newspaper called The Age printed news about there had been rumors or people had been saying they heard a quote-unquote metallic sound. And that several flight personnel heard that at the same time that Frederick mentioned that in the air traffic control report. When he said, oh, my engine, it's rough idling. There have been a lot of people that heard in that area a sound that would have been similar to an engine Mm. sputtering like that. Like right before a plane went down or something. Mm Mm-hmm. Even the Department of Transportation official said that there was, quote, sort of a metallic sound over the radio before communication was lost. Hmm. They continued to look for Frederick until October the 25th. And when no traces of him or the aircraft were ever found, the case just turned cold pretty much. Mm-hmm. I didn't read that there was a lot more that happened after that. On October 31st, a report published that a woman named Rhonda, who was supposedly the 17-year-old girlfriend of of Frederick, kind of did an unofficial search. She and a couple of her friends, like his and her friends, she actually went, flew for about two hours to search for her boyfriend. She flew to where he went missing because she believed that he was alive. So she believed he crashed near that cape. Mm -hmm. And she said, quote, he always told me that's what he'd do if he got in trouble overseas. So I don't know if she meant that he would crash, come back and crash his plane. I don't know. I think that quote could be kind of taken other ways. Did did he mean he would fake seeing these UFOs? Like, what does that quote mean? Right. Yeah, that's a bizarre thing to say. Mm Mm-hmm. So she and a group of his friends armed with these transceivers, they climbed through mountains, they climbed through the bush, they did all of this stuff in places that wasn't searched originally because they're like, he could have crashed on land. He could have, maybe he didn't know where he was. I mean, it is dark. Maybe they didn't know exactly where he was when those transmissions ended. So maybe he did crash over land. Hmm. And so they actually searched in a lot of different places because they were certain that he was still alive. You know, they bring up an interesting point because I'm wondering now if it's dark already and you're that high, I imagine mm-hmm. you can't clearly see what's below you, especially if it's, you know, unless it's something like a big bustling metropolis. I'm wondering if, you know, if it's rural land versus water, would you be able to see what you were over? And we t- I'm going to talk about that in some of the theories. But this is going to sound, this is such a stupid question. And people are going to be like, this woman has a master's degree. But it is what it is. So I wonder, I've always wondered this. Like, clearly airplanes, I know that when they fly, they fly using 
you know, those controls that tell them what direction they're heading. It's not like when you're in a car and you're, like, you know, flying it on your own. They right. have all these instruments that they look to to know where they're going. Mm-hmm. So when they're flying at night, are they literally just, they're flying blind into the darkness? Do they have, like, a headlight of any sort? No. Or I are think, they just up there? I think they're just up there. No, thank you. No, ma'am. That would be I mean, they would me. have, they would have something, in, you know, instrument in front of them, you know, where it shows the little bleeps. Yeah, like the little, yeah. And like like the there's little... someone close. But yeah, yeah I think... I don't oh. think you can see much. So you really are just trusting the instruments in your aircraft. I think so. Hmm. Yeah. That would be a that would be a no for me. <laughs> Maggie's never flying again after this no. episode. No. And in that same article, no, just I'll fly at nighttime, not during not or not at night, only during the day. <laughs> in that same article, his girlfriend actually said, and I think this is kind of bizarre. She said, quote, if a UFO did come to Earth, he'd go back with it. So, again, just kind of reiterating how much he's Mm. obsessed with extraterrestrial activity. Mm -hmm. The group really didn't find anything, though. There was like an oil slick that was found in the area where they were looking that a lot of people believed could have been where he vanished Mm -hmm. but according to the sydney morning herald tests concluded that the oil didn't come from an aircraft rather a marine diesel engine so it wouldn't have been the same type of oil okay it's not jet fuel or something like that right okay so that leaves us now wondering what the heck happened to frederick like where'd he go Did, did he take his own plane down was he actually mm-hmm. abducted by aliens? And that's going to be the first theory that we talk about is UFO slash possible alien abduction. Not because we necessarily think that it's the true theory, but because I think it's the most obvious one to talk about first. Right. Because he's obsessed with extraterrestrial well, stuff. And you've got the eyewitness. Right. And we'll talk about that too. So... He, meaning Frederick, wasn't just convinced that UFOs existed. He was also convinced that aliens would soon be attacking Earth. So, this may seem out there, but for Frederick, it wasn't really out there. And, like you said, he wasn't the only one who saw strange things that night. Right. That's the part that I keep coming back to. Mm Mm-hmm. The next morning, we had a farmer who was along the edge of the flight path. So, his farm would have been um, close to where Frederick was flying along the coast. He actually came forward and said that he observed a flying object hovering over his property. The object was apparently about 30 meters across, and it appeared to have a small airplane attached to its side. So, could this airplane have been Frederick either moments before he was abducted or was he already abducted and they also took the plane with him? Mm. Either way, creepy. Mm-hmm. The farmer said that the aircraft looked like it was leaking oil, which I'm assuming it would have been if he said that his engine was mm-hmm. like going and out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This farmer was so disturbed by what he saw that he etched the aircraft's tail number into one of his tractors so he wouldn't forget it. Okay, so here is conf- 
confirmation. I mean, this is not just a guy who's like, let me tell you about this story about what I saw, you know? I mean, he sees something and he says, I'm going to write this down because somebody needs to know about this. So what did they think when they heard these numbers? I mean, were they anything? The numbers match the numbers on Frederick's plane. (gasps) But my thing here is, Hmm. was that information, when did this guy come forward? Was it like the next day? Was it in the papers? Yeah. Was it in the paper? Like, if it was, you know, the next day and that number had never been released and I would be like, holy crap, he was abducted by an alien. Right. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Just like Mulder always said. (laughs) But I'm wondering when it was released. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Obviously, UFOologist, UFOlogist, how would one say that? I think it's UFOlogist. UFOlogist. That's what I've, okay. They, according to All Things Interesting, immediately were like, it's aliens! Right. He was abducted by aliens! They claim because there were those eyewitness accounts of the green light. Um, you know, Frederick had reported that. Other people had reported it moving across the sky. Mm-hmm. They're like, it has to be. A group in Phoenix, Arizona, also believes that a UFO abduction is the most likely possibility, according to All Things Interesting. The Ground Saucer Watch, which is the name of this group, claims to have photos taken by a plumber that show a fast-moving light moving through the water near the scene of the disappearance. How do you have but a when... photo that shows a fast-moving object? That would mean it would be a blur. Well, when the photos were looked at by experts, I don't know who, when they say experts, are we talking about experts in this ufology or are we talking about, you know, like government experts? experts. Right. Yeah. Um, the photos were too blurry to identify anything. Well, yeah. They're like, oh, it's something moving really fast when really it's yeah. just a blur. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we possibly could talk about the picture that has that ufo air quotes in the upper right hand corner mm-hmm. but then because we've determined it's not dirt it's not any damage on the negative right but to me like you said i just don't know that we can definitively say that that's a ufo maybe he did capture that's frederick maybe had some smoke you know coming mm-hmm. out of his plane mm-hmm. and you know, it was just too far away for the plane to be clear with the camera technology at the time. Right. I mean, or it's I a just fly. don't see. Yeah, I just don't see a UFO. And this is coming from the girl that thinks Baba Yaga is real. So, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not one to shy away from a good, weird theory. Right. But I just don't see it. I, well, because it's not, you know, he's making comments about it being like, circular or oblong and it's like a weird shape with sharper Mm -hmm. edges so it -hmm. it doesn't fit even what frederick described yeah and i just keep going back to the fact that his family and his girlfriend keep saying oh he would 100 like he would 100 percent be abducted by aliens they would he would love that you know comments like that it just mm-hmm. it's kind of weird to me mm-hmm. and brian dunning kind of felt the same as what we are he talks about in that article you know he kind of flirted with 
the limits of flying. He had all those incidents where he... Infractions, yeah. Yeah. Those slaps on the wrist type of thing. Mm -hmm. He flew into the clouds. He flew into that restricted airspace. Mm -hmm. So when he disappeared, he had like a a record, I want to say. Right? Potential punishments looming. Yeah, because that Brian Dunn said, Dunning said that he had actually received a reprimand, a letter of reprimand for the cloud incident. So he already had this kind of reputation that he wasn't the most trustworthy of people. Mm, Yeah. So could it be that it's just a hoax? Yeah. Another possible theory is that he crashed, which I think is really plausible. We've already talked about, you know, how experienced he was at flying. And many people believe that his inexperience could have played a pretty significant role in his disappearance. True. Um, We know he was really eager. He had lofty goals, despite all these rejections from the Air Force Academy. Um, He still continues to fly. And like you said, was he so determined to be a pilot and was so overconfident that he was just kind of like, I'll show them, you know, I'll take this dangerous route. They can kiss my butt. Like, I'll show them how good I am. When he's not at all equipped with the skill to do it. Yeah. Right. Because he had had all those incidents. He only had 150 flight hours. You know, this was not a path for the light at heart. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm wondering if he was just kind of, like my mammy would say, too big for his britches. Mm-hmm. Actually, flying over water into the setting sun, I didn't know this, can be super disorienting for even the best pilots. And then flying at night can also be very disorienting for experienced pilots. Mm-hmm. So I'm imagining Frederick, who is not experienced, flying in these dangerous situations. And I'm wondering, could they have been the downfall mm-hmm. and not the UFO? Mm-hmm. And I'm maybe thinking instead of focusing on the flight and those, you know, critical tasks that he would have needed to do to maintain a safe flight. Again, I have no idea what all that involves, but I'm assuming you don't just set cruise control and you just go. Right. I could be wrong, but I was feeling like, especially in a small plane, there's probably a lot more you're manually doing than if you're flying, you know, a commercial airplane. I would think so, yeah. But many think he was obsessive on almost delusional and that he may have imagined seeing the ufo or the lights could have been from his own aircraft and he's like oh my god i'm seeing a ufo and he just gets so focused in on that that he just forgets about everything else i actually read a computer search of the sky so when people went back and looked at what the weather was like that day and time said that Frederick could have seen what he thought were lights because the sky was so clear. People are like, did he see Venus, which we know is typically the brightest star in our sky because of how close it is to Earth. So could he have seen Venus, Mars, Mercury, and another really bright star and thought, because they form like a diamond shape, and thought, oh my God, that's a UFO in the distance. Right. It seems a and little bit he, of a stretch to me, though. Well, yeah. But if he's, like, so disoriented that he's moving, he may not know he's moving, and it looks like that is moving and not remaining the constant. I don't know. A lot of people 
think, again, in that same Dunning article, um, think that it could be star related. In that article, it says, quote, these four lights would have represented a diamond shape given the well-known tendency of viewers to connect the dots and so could well have been perceived as an aircraft or a UFO. In fact, the striking conjunction was shaped as a vertically elongated diamond, thus explaining Frederick saying that the UFO had a long shape, end quote. Okay, I mean, I get trying to have an explanation. And I'm not trying to say that he's telling the truth that there is a UFO. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I fully believe that the stars would have been bright enough that he would have mm-hmm. mistaken it for a huge metallic object. Yeah, oh, that's true. I had kind of forgot about he's able to distinguish that it is metallic. I hadn't even thought right. about that. Some people think he may have fell victim to, like, a horizontal illusion or, like, a horizon illusion. Apparently, this is a thing. I didn't know. But you can become disoriented and you don't really know what's up and what's down, pretty much. And this actually happened. I didn't know this, and I feel like I should have until I read that Brian Dunning article that this is what happened to JFK Jr. Oh, Did you know I that? didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know that until I read the Brian Dunning article. Mm-hmm. And in that article, he talks about um, what happened in JFK Jr.'s death. And it sounds so similar to what Frederick could have done. Like, some of the similarities, I think this is a pretty plausible theory in my mind. Okay. But in that article, it says, quote, But the most significant point to consider is that... This was Frederick's first night flight over the water. These conditions are not too dissimilar to those which contributed to the deaths of John F. Kennedy Jr. and his two passengers in 1999. Kennedy was flying at night over water with no visible horizon, no points of reference. It's easy to become disoriented in such conditions. Kennedy repeatedly banked left and right, trying to level out, making things worse, and all the while his rate of descent increased until he struck the water nose down. It's a type of accident that's all too familiar. Spatial disorientation is a virtual death sentence, according to Brian Dunning's article. There's a popular cautionary tale among pilots taught in many safety videos and seminars, and the average time between becoming spatially disoriented and death is a mere 178 seconds. Wow. Such pilots are often unaware of the plane's altitude, relative to the ground, usually due to the loss of visibility in this spatial disorientation. The figure of 178 seconds comes from a famous simulator research project, and though the study's date and methodology have come under question, the figure of just about three minutes has been repeatedly confirmed by real-world air crashes such as Kennedy's and probably Frederick's, end quote. So what happens when you go into this horizon illusion thing? So I think from what I read about it that you don't you have no point of reference. Okay. So you can't tell where the land begins and the sky ends. Okay. And so you get disoriented and you're I'm in my mind thinking am I flying straight like that kind of thing and then you try to correct yourself. And you're, when you do that, that makes the problem worse. And then you start losing altitude and you can't tell really where you're at to 
kind of straighten back up. And before you know it, your nose mm. deep in water or you've crashed. Onto what land. about all the, okay. So if this happens to him mm-hmm. and he somehow, you know, gets disoriented, maybe he sees the reflection of his own plane in the water mm-hmm. and that's yeah, what looks metallic. But mm-hmm. what about like the green light? Well, don't airplanes have lights on their wings? Yeah. Could oh, they be so green? He, maybe. So that's what we think. Maybe he saw that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's what some people think. That's an interesting but if he, theory. But if he did disappear with a crash, would we have found at least remnants of this Cessna that he was in? I mean, they did in 1983 something washed ashore that had some numbers that belonged to Frederick Cessna, like the serial numbers, mm-hmm. like a part of it matched. But I don't think that would be super uncommon. Then again, I don't know how many Cessnas right. crashed into the water. Right. I would think that isn't a very common thing. And if it was indeed his, I feel like we would... It'd be in your research that there was confirmation. Mm-hmm. You so know. you kind of handed at this next theory. Mm-hmm. That it was a staged disappearance. Mm, yeah. Many, many people talk about this theory. Because they're like, you know what? This trip was like 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. His little Cessna would have been able to fly 500 miles on his tank that he had full. So, he's not running out of gas. So, where the heck did he go? hmm For me, the leg this theory stands on is this. Frederick had two different stories as to why he was going to this island. One right. is he told people that he was meeting some friends for dinner or to pick them up or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Mm-hmm. This was the story that he told people at the airport when he rented the aircraft. The second story that he told... I guess his friends and family, was that he was going to the island to get crayfish, which is a pretty common thing at this island, which I thought was a North American thing, but apparently Mm -hmm. it's also an Australian thing. So I learned something new today. Yeah, but you're like, I'm just going to hop on a plane and fly. Yeah. To get some food that I want. Right. You know what I mean? It's weird. Okay. So those, that's a big thing for me. Why I think it, could have potentially been staged or maybe like you said earlier he's telling these two stories because his actual plan is to kind of go a different route Mm -hmm. and so he just kind of gets his lies a little confused right the next piece of evidence that makes this theory plausible is that i read in most of my research that at no time was this aircraft ever plotted on radar where he said he was supposed to be. Oh. So this casts a lot of doubt as to whether he was even near the Cape. And the Melbourne police received reports of a light aircraft making a mysterious landing not far from where he was supposed to be, but not in the route that he would have been on. So this is feeding into the hoax theory saying, well, he just, he acted like his plane went down, but really he Mm -hmm. made a landing somewhere Mm -hmm. else. Hmm. Yeah. And that is actually what a lot of people say. 
mm-hmm. could he been run? Could he have been running away because he was, you know, this failed mm-hmm. Air Force applica- applicant, and he's kind of saying, "Well, maybe I can." quote unquote prove that UFOs exist through my disappearance. Right. So a lot of people do think he may have been running away. Makes sense. Maybe that was the best solution for him. But again, mm-hmm. where the heck is his airplane? Right. Yeah, he had to have, Especially if he did if it land it somewhere and they have yeah. reports of it landing there, then you would think that somebody would have gone there to look for it. Because it's not like you can just hide an airplane in some bushes. Right. Maybe Maybe he knew where some collapsing sand dunes were. Uh, there you and go. And that's where he landed his plane. <laughs> and it got sucked into this Australian sand. That's right. There we go. Just like the theory of the Beaumont children. Yeah. Done. So, solved. Solved. We solved it. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Another interesting theory comes from that same Brian Dunning article. And this one is kind of, it's kind of out there. Okay. But then you're kind of like okay like when you first hear it you're like really and then you're like okay that's kind of all right i'm ready and it goes along with the stage disappearance okay he says in the article quote for me the most striking part of frederick's story came when i read the radio transcripts the language sounded familiar almost too familiar and then Mm. i looked at the year of the event 1978 had there been a radio conversation talking about unidentified traffic and landing lights and pop culture around that time it turned out there had. Listen to this. So I'm going to read to you the little conversation that Brian Dunning had in his article. Okay. Aries 31. So this is one of the fake people. planes. Okay. Yeah. Or a plane. And then, yeah. And we're talking to Indianapolis. Okay. So Aries 31 says, Indianapolis Center, do you have any traffic for Aries 31? Indianapolis. Aries 31, negative. The only traffic I have is a TWAL 1011 in your 6 o'clock position range 15 miles. Air 31, or Aries 31. Aries 31 has traffic at 2 o'clock, slightly above and descending. Indianapolis. Aries 31, roger. I have a primary target about in that position now. I have no known high altitude traffic. Stand by. I'll check. Over. Air East 31. Aries 31. The traffic's not lower than us. It's 1 o'clock now. Still above me. And it's descending. Indianapolis. Can you see any aircraft type? So this sounds familiar uh-huh. to me. Because uh-huh. he's like, yeah, it's above me now. And they're right. like, can you identify it? What is it? Uh-huh. Aries 31 says negative center. No distinct outline. To tell you the truth, it's hard to describe. It's rather brilliant. That's the brightest of any collision lights I think I've ever seen. Alternating white to red. The colors are a little striking. Huh. The TWA 517 says center. This is TWA 517. The traffic now looks extra bright landing lights. I thought Air East was on his had his landing lights off. So again with the lights Mm -hmm. and i think the part for me that is the most like similar is the conversation in this obvious fake transcript about no it's above me oh no it's it's lower now Mm -hmm. and it's like just seconds Mm -hmm. you know dunning said that steven spielberg's close encounters of the third kind had been released less than a year before frederick made his radio report 
And Dunning says, quote, he replicated every major element of the famous air traffic control scene. The movie was a favorite of UFO fans and captured the imaginations of young people. Pilots in particular loved the air traffic control scene. Frederick was all three. He was young, he was a pilot, and he was obsessed with UFOs, end quote. Hmm. So he's thinking, again, he's living out this fantasy, basically. Yeah. And Dunning says, you know, could he have been a little too obsessed he was having a little too much fun and so he was like i'll copy this movie scene like you said i'm gonna live out my fantasy Mm -hmm. and when he does that ends up crashing into the ocean Mm. so i guess this could go back to the crash theory just with a different reason why he didn't become you know disoriented Mm -hmm. he was acting silly and then that caused him to crash right there are even more like obscure theories regarding this case one was that frederick was shot down by drug runners that's a little extreme to me i think they would have been able to hear that on the transmission right there was another that there was an electrical discharge from a cloud that caused his aircraft to catch fire and pretty much explode which i'm wondering if that could have been what the photographer caught on camera but I feel like they would have heard something. Yeah, that's true. Kind of like the when he was shot, if he was shut, shot down. Mm-hmm. Come on, Maggie, mm-hmm. from a drug runner. Right. I think in my mind that the most, I was going back and forth originally. And I think you're right. The UFO other eyewitness could have just read a newspaper article and then come forward. Mm-hmm. Right. And while I do think it's possible that it could have been a hoax and that this was, you know, him thinking, well, I'll avoid being punished and I'll prove that UFOs exist. I really Mm -hmm. think the most likely is that horizon illusion. And if he Mm -hmm. somehow is either as plain as inverted or he's just so disoriented and that he sees the shiny object but it's really the reflection of his own plane and then Mm -hmm. he loses control of it yeah that's how i'm kind of leaning to i do think the steven spielberg theory is interesting Mm -hmm. i just don't know if he was that immature right right Some people think that Frederick got too close to discovering the truth and was abducted by aliens. Some people think that the alien ploy is just a way to sensationalize his death. Regardless, on that October night, a young man died. A young man that had so much to offer the world left too early. He was a dedicated man who, if given the chance, could have made a contribution to this world. I honestly don't know what happened to Frederick, and I'm pretty certain we probably will never know. I'll leave you with this quote from Fox Mulder of the X-Files. Quote, We must ask ourselves, are they really a hoax? Are we truly alone? Or are we just being lied to? End quote. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. Looking for a new podcast to keep you entertained because you are all caught up on coffee and cases? Check out TZ Borden and his podcast, Tapes from the Dark Side. The podcast is organized into seasons with one case per season and four seasons already there for you to binge with season five just about to start. Now is the perfect time to check out the pod. You will not regret it. Check it out. And if you like what you hear, which we obviously know you will, leave a five-star review and let TZ know that Allison and I sent you. Here's a little bit about the show from the host himself. You know those dads who literally never sit down? That was Danny. He constantly was doing something either for them or with them. Hashtag girl dad, totally. We hope to one day have a son, which was taken from us. If you make a mistake... There is a very severe possibility that you're both going to get shot. Do you understand that? Yes. Wanted to do our best to secure, make sure everybody was safe. So we started making verbal commands. Shut up. You listen, you obey. You started screaming. I would describe as yelling very loudly. Please do not shoot me. Then listen to my instructions. I'm trying to do it. Don't talk. Listen. He's crawling towards the police, crying, please, please don't shoot me. The officer shot him five times. Do not put your hands down for any reason. You think you're going to fall, you better fall on your face. Crawl towards me! (laughs) Jesus Christ, they murdered that guy! And, and he gets, blood. he got off, and he got blood. off. They, they murdered, they, they killed this guy. I mean, it looks, it looks a lot like murder. Cop who killed, fired from the force, is now getting paid, collecting a taxpayer-funded check every month for the rest of his life. She received a phone call from her eight-year-old school. She tried choking herself while she was at school and told her friend that she wanted to die. I lost everything in my life. Mesa's watching every single video on here, so I want to make this message very clear to them. I am not going to stop fighting until my husband gets justice. You didn't realize who you were messing with when you killed Daniel Shaver. I am Lainey Sweet, I'm his wife, and I will not stop fighting. You just listened to the trailer for the new season of my podcast, Tapes from the Dark Side. The execution of Daniel Shaver is the investigation into the 2016 police shooting of an unarmed man. It's often described as the most disturbing police shooting ever caught on tape. 
This multi-part series will examine the depravity of the Mesa Police Department's actions that night and the ensuing corruption that is still ongoing to this day. This is Tapes from the Dark Side, The Execution of Daniel Shaver. Available now on Apple, Spotify, and all podcast apps. Subscribe today. Just search Tapes from the Dark Side. It's love notes for Maggie and Allison. Whoop, whoop. Da, 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 da. We have a lot of love to give out this week. We're giving love out to Nancy, one, my neighbor Andrea, Mandy, two, Brothers Beating, Nadia, Body to Burial Podcast, Michaela, Nicole, Lori, Tiffany, and Sarah for reaching out for to us on social media. Or recommending our podcast to others. Yes, plus we got what was quite possibly one of the best comments ever on one of our (laughs) Facebook page uh, posts talking about our merch line that we just launched. When Jerry Kay said, quote, instead of live models, y'all should have used mannequins. (laughs) Everybody always thinks it's just a mannequin. It's just a mannequin. (laughs) I thought that was so good. Yeah, when I read that, I died laughing. I, did too. I had legit tears <laughs> falling down my face. We have more love this week going out to all those who are supporting the show, either by purchasing something from our merch. Remember that the deadline is the 12th to get clothing in by Christmas, though you can order anytime, but obviously, uh, yeah, if you're wanting obby. to get yourself a gift mm-hmm. or someone else, you need to order by the 12th. Or if you're supporting the show on Patreon, we have got some fun mini episodes coming your way this month, plus all of our crazy ones from months past. And Allison has a super wild full Patreon coming to you all as well. And it Mm -hmm. is definitely one that you do not want to miss. Right. If you have not yet joined us on Patreon, don't forget that your time is running out short to do so for Mm -hmm. only five dollars a month in january that cost is going up to eight dollars so join now so you can have that discount for as long as you remain a patron for that five dollars you will get many episodes and a full bonus episode each month plus it supports the show so if you like maggie and me Mm -hmm. we could really Mm -hmm. use your help and if they join Mm -hmm. right because i'm dumb sometimes if they join now that means they lock in that five dollar price for the rest of the time that they're yes. on Patreon. Yes. So okay. now is the time to join. And if you join at a higher tier, so twelve, fifteen, or the twenty dollar level, and you remain there for the months of December, January, and February, then you will get a swag box mailed to you in February. So Ooh. our swag box number two will be coming to you. The tier that you're in will determine the number of items that you'll receive. And our first set of swag boxes for those who were in the higher tiers for September, October, and November are actually on their way and should be to you if you're in one of those and have been for those three months within the week. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. So please, when you get those, take pictures and post them on our social media accounts because we want to see you opening those swag boxes because we 
Allison and I are both givers. We love to give. So we want to see people enjoying the things that we have given them. So be sure to tag Coffee and Cases in those posts. And if you want to get in on the action, it is never too late to join Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash coffee and cases. The links to both our merch shop and Patreon can be found in the show notes. And with that, all of our love is going out to each of you. Until next week, sleuth hounds. (laughs) 